the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 27th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 251. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Hey, everyone. Big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's keying up. We've got a tandem of congressmen coming in. Brandon Williams will be joining us for the first time. We'll also sit down with California Congressman Kevin Kiley. Ren, the Raw Egg Nationalist, is going to be joining us. And ex-strategy CEO Alex Brucewitz will be here as well. We've got a lot of breaking news. Latest on the ever-spiraling Biden scandals. Trump was on the campaign trail all weekend. We'll check in on that and do a little bit of news potpourri to round out the show. But before we get to any of our topics, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, big Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. If you're first time listening to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back and welcome to America's fastest growing political podcast. Joining us first to get things started today, he's the congressman who represents California 3. Always happy when Mr. Kevin Kiley joins us on the show. Congressman, welcome. Uh, thanks very much. Great to be with you guys as always. Well, it's great to host you. So it was a busy week up in Congress last week. Uh, one of the things that I definitely think tributes to crediting you with the hard work you do up there was seeing people like Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, Eric Swalwell, et cetera, get a little bit shredded with testimony from John Durham and things to follow after that. You've been really pushing back on these guys for a long time, Congressman. Can you tell us how it was going through the motions and seeing uh, John Durham get up there and testify for the first time? Well, I thought it was a great hearing. I mean, we've been waiting for this report for a while uh, because, you know, the sort of origin of it was, uh, of course, we had the Mueller report that came back after years of them pushing this, uh, you know, Russian collusion uh, farce and said, no, there was no evidence of collusion. And so the idea of the Durham report was to kind of look at, okay, how is it that our country was dragged through uh, this whole farce? Um, what led to all of this. And the conclusion, of course, uh, is that uh, much of this was uh, political in origin, uh, was pushed by political opponents of President Trump. Uh, and uh, then, you know, once the investigations got going, uh, were, they were exploited uh, relentlessly for political gain. And so that's what we mean by the weaponization uh, of the federal government. And so the Durham report very carefully and diligently and clearly uh, documented all of this. And, uh, you know, with his testimony, uh, he laid it out before uh, the Judiciary Committee. And so it was pretty uh, incredible for the likes of the people you just mentioned, you know, Schiff, Nadler, uh, Swalwell, uh, Lou, uh, to sort of respond by trying to discredit Durham uh, in hopes of, you know, somehow trying to uh, still at this late day, um, propagate uh, this Russian collusion uh, narrative that has been completely discredited. Now, moving forward, how do you think when, we, you know, we talk about the weaponization of the federal government, namely places like the DOJ and the FBI, as we start to see some of these things snowball into the uh, early portions of the 2024 election cycle, don't you think Congress is going to be a little bit more vigilant 
Well, sure. I mean, I think that um, what we're doing right now is uh, is we're conducting uh, oversight, um, which is the role of of Congress. It's the role of the legislative branch. It's one that was largely neglected, by the way, uh, under Nancy Pelosi. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things going on right now that uh, raise a lot of concerns. We had this whistleblower uh, that just came th- uh, out at the IRS. Um, we just have new information there. And so it is absolutely the job of uh, of this Congress and, uh, you know, in particular, the Judiciary Committee uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, the uh, powers of the executive branch uh, are not being abused and that we are indeed, uh, you know, uh, providing equal justice under law uh, and that we're not continuing to have uh, agencies like the FBI uh, and the DOJ uh, weaponized for political purposes. Yeah, it's going to be really important because uh, it's not like Joe Biden's going to do too much campaigning and uh, finish the job, I think, talks more about probably the end of his life, not the agenda he has in, in, in 2024 when you talk about his you know, big campaign shtick right there. Congressman, I need to ask you because, uh, you know, we definitely track the work you do. We've been huge fans of you since you've been, you know, working in Congress out here in California. Now, Adam Schiff was censured last week in Congress. You were a no vote on the first time around. We know as someone who's tracked you for so long that you're not a big fan of grandstanding. You're not a big fan of, of trying to make a point without actually getting anything done. Now, when the second vote came around, obviously you voted for it. But can you tell us what was your methodology in just going through the whole process and then eventually getting to where it needed to be, which was Adam Schiff needed to be censured for you know the behavior that he conducted throughout the course of the Russiagate investigation? Yeah. And thank you for the question. I mean, my, you know, I wanted to make sure that we uh, passed something that would stick and that wouldn't sort of uh, backfire. Uh, And so the first time it came up, I didn't actually vote against it. I just voted to temporarily table uh, the censure. And then, you know, a few other people who had noticed the same problem I did, like Thomas Massey and others, um, we, you know, worked with the author uh, to revise the resolution so that it wouldn't uh, raise any constitutional problems. The first version of it, uh, I think almost certainly would have been uh, struck down in court, which would have been a disaster. And so we were able to fix the uh, unconstitutional uh, element of the resolution. Uh, it came back just a few days later and we, we got it passed then. Now, I think the more important question is, is that how important is it for the congressional record and just for history in general for something like this to be on the books? Well, I think it sends a, a very clear message. I mean, we've only had, I think he was the 25th uh, House member uh, to receive a censure and only, uh, I believe, the third in the last uh, 40 years. And so uh, it sends uh, a major statement. And that was the same reason why uh, the Speaker McCarthy removed him from the Intelligence Committee uh, as well at the start of this Congress, is that, you know, this isn't just a matter of him, uh, you know, being uh, un- untruthful. Uh, to the American public, uh, you know, God knows we have a fair amount of that in politics. Um, but he, it was much worse than that. He abused a position of trust. He was given access to sensitive information uh, as the chair of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, and he abused that position uh, in order to uh, mislead the American public. Um, and, uh, you know, we, as a result of, of that, uh, and, you know, of course, uh, of others who are doing the same thing in, in different ways, um, you know, had this cloud hanging over our country for years uh, of the Mueller investigation of the Russia farce. Um, and so I think that, you know, in passing this resolution, we sent a very clear message that if you are given a position of trust on the Intelligence Committee, if you're given access to sensitive information, uh, you are not going to be abusing that trust for political purposes. And you guys are going to have to... Uh give an elbow and a nudge to some of those people on the special counsel that are leaking stuff to the wall street journal and uh 
CNN right now in regard to the President Trump tapes that we've heard over the last 24 hours. Congressman, you're going to see where I'm going with this because I said you weren't one for grandstanding. You were one for making stuff stick. Now, recently you had uh, some powerful testimony in, in committee versus uh, one of your former California counterparts, Xavier Becerra, who heads HHS now. And this was in regards to it, it kind of summed up how just absolutely ridiculous portions of the pandemic were. Uh, you know, we don't take uh, for granted some of the stuff that was definitely serious when it comes to like health and, and medicine and stuff like that here on the show. But when you just talk about some of the things that were absolutely ridiculous, you hammered him, I, I would call it a posterization, uh, on the, the force mask mandates for children as young as two years old. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that exchange? Well, sure. I mean, this is one of the things that is just most, uh, you know, just appalling uh, about uh, what happened during COVID is the way that kids were treated. Of course, we you know shut down schools uh, for uh, a long period of time. California, by the way, shut them down longer than anywhere. Correct. Um, and then once kids were allowed back, um, you know, you had kids as young as two years old who were forced to wear masks all day. This was not the norm, by the way, throughout the world. Like in Europe, they didn't do that. Um, even the WHO didn't recommend masks for kids that young. Uh, so I just wanted to ask the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Becerra, who uh, presided over a two-year-old mask mandate because Head Start did it, and that's under his department, like, you know, do you think that was the right thing to do? do was there evidence that this uh, had any benefit? Uh, we know there was a lot of harm. That's all being established, and we're learning more about that now. What's the benefit? Why did why did we do this? And he just could not answer the question. And uh, I think that his uh, sort of uh, repeated refusal to answer a very straightforward question uh, really gave you all the answer you needed. Absolutely. Congressman, is it alarming to you to see uh, in a quick free agent pickup on Friday afternoon, right before the wire closed, to see someone that uh, Xavier Becerra collaborated with big time during the pandemic, Randy Weingarten, picked up a special position within the Department of Homeland Security? Uh, that is really, uh, really alarming. I mean, uh, Randy Weingarten, you know, was the school closer in chief in yep. a sense. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe her or Fauci. I'm not sure who would <laughs> quite get that role. Uh, but, you know, and, and Weingarten doesn't even have any, uh, you know, uh, ostensible uh, connection to public health or anything like that. And yet you had her text messaging uh, the CDC director, telling her what to do with school reopening guidance. It looks like those the guidance of the CDC, in fact, was revised in February of 2021 20, uh, after she received texts from Randy Weingarten. Uh, and we know that this was uh, maybe the biggest mistake that's been made in terms of domestic policy uh, in at least a generation in this country. Uh, and so to now have someone who played such a central role uh, in that catastrophe elevated to a position like that, I mean, it is just, uh, it's almost beyond parody. Well, I think it'll be keeping you guys busy because sooner rather than later, I probably think she'll be uh, within committee and before you guys answering questions on some ridiculous policies they're they're probably getting ready to enact in the next fiscal year. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. It's always a pleasure to host you on the show. We're going to live link your congressional website and show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, where can they keep tracking? Uh, yeah, you can just go to Twitter, uh, at Kevin Kiley, uh, CA, also on uh, Instagram, Facebook, other outlets. And, uh, yeah, it's always great to be with you guys. Thanks for everything you do. Absolute fighter up there on Capitol Hill, one of our favorites representing California 3, Congressman Kevin Kiley. Thanks for joining us today on the show. You bet. Take care. Documents, their authenticity nowhere challenged. Uh, that included a July 2017 WhatsApp message sent by Hunter Biden to Henry Zhao, a Chinese Communist Party official, which stated in its entirety, and I quote, I am sitting here with my father 
and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father." Unquote. So just a couple of questions about this. First, does this not undermine uh, the President's claim during the 2020 campaign and the reaffirmations of that claim by his two press secretaries since then that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with him? No, and I'm not going to comment further on this. We're good. We're good. I'm not. James, James, let me just, let me save you some, let me save, let me save, let me save you some breath. If you're going to ask about this, I am not addressing, I don't, I know you do more than I'd like you to have. I am not going to address this issue from this podium. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Thank you. Thanks guys. Have a great weekend. Wow. What if we bring him another podium that he can stand at and he can answer questions at that one? At this rate, the only podium that he's going to answer questions in front of <laughs> is if you put it blocking the door to leave the White House press pool. Uh, that was Assistant White House Press Secretary John Kirby. He called out of the bullpen to not field questions about Joe Biden's increasing scandals. I mean, they're going to have to address it sooner or later. They're, I mean, they're about to throw him under the bus. I'm calling it. It's going to get ugly. The bus driver is driving the engine right now. He's 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 grabbing that little handle and flipping the big side doors closed. They've got to figure something out because when you look at some of the poll numbers that came out over the weekend, I believe it was uh, 68% of the total electorate feel that Joe Biden's not physically or mentally fit or capable to complete a second term in office. I mean, I thought that already, but that's, I'm glad they're catching up. That included 54% of Democrats. Ooh. <laughs> and you want to talk about legitimate solutions that they have right now, just the chain of succession. Kamala Harris polled this weekend as the most unpopular vice president ever. In history? Of the galaxy. Really? Mm, 81 million votes. But yeah, when you when you start to look at, at, at some of these things, I, I think when when you hear a number that high, 68%, you, you rarely see anything poll that high. I think the only things that you can compare it to that we've heard of recently is the current direction of the country, which is around 70% going mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. And the fact that Republicans, independents, and moderates don't want to hear Donald Trump talk about rigging and stolen anymore. So when you, when you just look at those items, I still like it. I think we all do, but you know, segueing to election interference, which we will definitely get to in our second and third news pieces, is, is something that's been a little bit more uh, prevalent in the media recently, other than just talking about how it was rigged and stolen. It's what they're doing now to prevent any kind of a successful election campaign season moving forward. Again, unprecedented, especially when you're talking about things related to open investigations. And I'm not talking about the Trump tapes that we're going to hear later that were, believe it or not, leaked to the media. Weird. Yeah. Merrick Garland came out to uh, defend Joe Biden and the Justice Department. Let's hear him. Attorney General, um, Republicans in Congress have flirted with the idea of holding the FBI director in contempt. Um, it's become a talking point on uh, the campaign trail. Um, the alleged corruption and, and the FBI and other federal law enforcement agencies. Um, do the American people have cause to be concerned about the integrity of the components of this Justice Department? And and what do you have to say about 
how they're acting. I certainly uh, understand that, that some have chosen to attack the integrity of the Justice Department as components and its employees chosen? by claiming that we do not treat like cases alike. Uh, this constitutes an attack on an institution that is essential to American democracy and essential to the safety of the American people. Nothing could be further from the truth. You've all heard me say many times that we make our cases based on the facts and the law. These are not just words. These are what we live by. They are the foundation of the way we make these decisions. Mm. The agents of the FBI, as well as the DEA, the ATF, our uh, deputy U.S. marshals, every day, often at great personal risk, protect the American people and secure its safety. I, our cases are based on their work. I could not be more proud to work with them. Vagina. Believe it or not, he was talking about Hunter Biden taking a plea deal <laughs> and, and defending the case there where there's been so many people, everyone from reality TV stars to rappers who have gone to prison for the exact same thing. Yeah, they went to jail for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you with the best lawyers and, and, and all the money on the planet. And, and, and then what the disposition was with... Like stupid money. Like, Hunter, like, like Millions and millions, would like you say? Like rent-a-beller mansion monthly stupid money. Where are you going to film the videos? I Well, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Uh, well, he's staying part-time in the White House anyway, so. Good times. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. When I see the Attorney General of the United States talk like that and that he's flanked by Russiagate proprietor Lisa Monaco at the Justice Department, and you know what they're trying to do to President Trump coming down the road here, it's just they don't want to make news. The campaign strategy for Joe Biden Heading into this election cycle right now is to not make news. The only thing he's got going for him heading into 2024 where his campaign slogan is finish the job. Does that mean his life? Or the country. Does that mean his second term in office? Finish him. Or does it mean the country? We're going to see stuff uh, that has to do with the state owning your children. Gun laws. Abortion bullshit. Things of that nature. You want to talk about the economy, geopolitics, the southern border, rampant crime. Not good. Fentanyl epidemic. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to make news. What the Democrat strategy is here heading into the summer is that Donald Trump continues to make news, a la his special counsels and future indictments and anything that he'll say out on the campaign trail that they could use in videos because Joe Biden isn't going to be doing very much, if any, campaigning. And this is kind of what happens when the government kind of does a double switch and holds itself hostage because they've been holding us hostage with Joe Biden as the president for the first two years. And we all know behind the scenes, they wanted to go in a different direction depending on, on, you know, who your horse is in this race. And I'm speaking frankly and not talking about anybody's physical attributes, whether it's Gavin Newsom, the American psycho, big Mike, Michelle Obama, or kill dog, Hillary Clinton. They wanted to segue and get away from Joe Biden because obviously he's, Ran the race. You are a nasty person. <laughs> it is just a complete empty suit shell of a man. Oof. So Jim Jordan jumped on a couple of the cable news shows this weekend and was talking about some of the things, you know, regarding this case, how the whistleblowers who've come forward to House Republicans were stymied in their investigation and sometimes just refused stuff. Uh, we're starting to hear even more 
that they wanted to elevate this to a special counsel just because how big they could have blown it open and they wanted to keep it so small and precise that Hunter Biden can cop a plea deal and get off basically scot-free. Let's hear him. Warrant special counsel status, I don't know what does, but they denied that to him. him. So you can't have the attorney general saying, oh, I've taken a hands-off approach. And then, the, then, then this happened where he was denied, David Weiss was denied special counsel status. So I think when you step back and look at this, first of all, Look at the credibility of these whistleblowers. Mr. Shapley, 14 years at the IRS, handled some of the biggest cases they've ever had. Then there's the anonymous whistleblower who had the same kind of background. These guys are credible people who've come forward. Second, you have the attorney general, what he said. He was going to take a hands-off approach, but obviously he did it. And then third, you have the facts. You have the assistant U.S. attorney, Leslie Wolf, who's, who said that she tipped off Biden's lawyers when they were getting ready to do something. She told Mr. Shapley that he couldn't ask about the big guy, couldn't ask about Joe Biden and couldn't use the term the big guy, even though they had that email. She limited what they could do in their investigation. I mean, that is just as wrong as it gets. So you, uh, we, we want to make sure we get a chance to talk to this Leslie Wolf, the assistant U.S. attorney who was handling this case in Mr. Weiss's office there in Delaware. We think that's important as we move forward with this investigation. So you will subpoena Leslie Wolf then? We're going to look at all options on the table. We want to talk to her. There's typically a process you go through before you'd ever get to a subpoena. But if that's what it takes, we think it's important to talk to her. When, when, when she is doing those kind of things, she, wouldn't, she, she denied a search warrant. They had it approved. And then she said, no, we're not going to do it. A search warrant for the storage unit where Hunter Biden stored things. This is what Mr. Shapley and the agents on the case wanted to do. They were denied access to that. So when you're denying search warrants, when you're saying you can't ask about Joe Biden, can't use the term the big guy and ask about that email and, and tipping off the, uh, the, the Justice Department is tipping off Hunter Biden's lawyers before you do something. I mean, think of the difference. Trump's lawyers weren't tipped off when, when, when they decided to raid his home, for goodness sake, mm-hmm. even though they'd been working with President Trump all along. Right. So this is this preferential treatment that the whistleblowers are talking about that's not supposed to happen yeah. in, our, in our system of justice. Well, Interesting. And we do know now that some of the people who are involved in the you know, field office down in Florida and, and, and Trump raid that they made pleas to the Washington office that they, they should run point instead of sending, you know, a special tactical team down to dump boxes on the floor and, and, and take pictures of storage units down at Mar-a-Lago, you know, last August. So it's one of those things where maybe this should have gotten special counsel treatment. Maybe things moving forward will, you know, he, these text messages where it seems like Hunter Biden and his dad were together, even if Hunter Biden was lying, you know, and, and him and his father weren't together, the the appearance that they were using not only Joe Biden's. Well, that's just that's 100 percent him using him as influence, as an actual apparatus to gain favor with these these groups. Jim Jordan would go on to talk about how he wants to talk to some of these people who are involved and, and, and get to the bottom of just exactly what happened. Let's hear that. Are we going to get any of these burner phone records, uh, any of these credit card records from these shell companies? Because that could lead us somewhere. Yeah, I think that'll probably, uh, Jesse, primarily out of uh, Chairman Comer's committee, the Oversight Committee. Uh, he's been focused on the business records associated with the Biden you know, business in- enterprise. Uh, we want to talk to David Weiss. Chris is just is right. The, your, your previous guest. Uh, we want to talk to David Weiss, the U.S. attorney. We want to talk to Leslie Wolf. She's the one who, who, who stopped the search warrant. She's the one who said you can't ask questions during the investigation. To Mr. Shapley said you can't ask questions about Joe Biden. You can't even bring up the term the big guy. I mean, so stop and think about this for a second. 
So Joe Biden said he wasn't involved in his son's business dealings. That sure looks like it wasn't accurate. And Merrick Garland said he took a hands-off approach to the investigation. That sure looks like it wasn't accurate as well. So those are the questions we have to ask. The first one will be done, I think, in Chairman Comer's committee. He is focused on that the entire six months we've been in Congress. We will continue to focus on the Justice Department. So we want to talk to David Weiss. We want to talk to Mr. Estrada. We want to talk to Leslie Wolf. We want to talk to all these U.S. attorneys and say, why did you do it this way? I mean, th this is a credible whistleblower, 14 years experience, handled some of the biggest international tax cases in that time frame, handled some of the biggest ones that the IRS has dealt with. We think he's credible. He's got he's raised important issues. We want to get the answers. And the way you do that is to talk to these attorneys who handled this case. So they're literally putting stipulations on terminology that they can and can't use. Yes. Terminology that is 100% evidentiary and links them directly to the wrongdoing. Well, it's the gray area and the fine print that this administration operates most successfully in. It's and retarded. Everything from the way they answer or not answer questions to conduct or not investigations into anything, including themselves. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's slowly developing and there's a lot of people who, you know, just want to see people drug out handcuffs. And I mean, I, if we learned one lesson from John Durham's investigation, take away this, it will set precedence for future investigations because what happened during the election cycle when Donald Trump ran in 2015 never happened before, or mm -hmm. at least wasn't made public to the, you know, with the FISA courts and the wiretapping and all this stuff going on. No, now as this stuff starts to come to light regarding Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's criminal dealings with foreign nationals and, and violations. And I mean, listen, if this was Donald Trump, he'd already be in a cell, mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is, is we got to play it the right way and not get ahead of ourselves. Cause we run the risk of, you know, information getting out there, are playing our cards too early, and then the Democrats playing defense. Remember, no one circles the wagons better than the Dems. Mm -hmm. And a unified party, as much as they are, and the way everybody gets in line, they can erase facts by basically saying fiction over and over again. Yeah, they repeat the lies over and over again until, I mean, there's a, there's a clip of Hillary Clinton talking, or no, Nancy Pelosi, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi talking about literally repeating something until it becomes true and then capitalizing I'm not going verbatim but capitalizing on the discourse that that creates correct and uh and that also I think when I retire I'm going to do the Durham goatee oh yeah it was it was pretty it's a good look if there was one thing that that I, I think John Durham really won at it was in the facial hair department <laughs> we're getting ready to jump on with congressman Brandon Williams for the first time but before we do let's hear one more clip Kevin McCarthy who's been not doing a great job lately. I hear it's like Kevin McCarthy is open to expunging Donald Trump's two impeachments. Yay. Kevin McCarthy is also allowing opposition candidates to get in races versus America first candidates. Boo. You know what I'm saying? And Kevin McCarthy and MTG are running around whipping stupid shit. Mm -hmm. Boo. And then Kevin McCarthy is looking to investigate this a little bit further. Let's hear it. Biden says that Joe Biden met with his business partners 12 times, 12 different times and 12 different deals, perhaps. So it's according to Rob Walker, who was in on all this stuff. Good friend. He's all over uh, all over the laptop. So will this prompt you to do a impeachment inquiry? Well, 
You apparently don't follow me on Twitter because yesterday I laid out very, very clearly by July 6th, because of the allegations from the IRS, because of the whistleblowers and the DOJ, are, are Garland, what he is saying and what David Weiss are saying privately are two different things. Right. And if it comes true what the IRS whistleblower is saying, we're going to start impeachment inquiries on the attorney general. Well, it- I mean, we like that Kevin McCarthy, mm-hmm. but we don't like him funding... Oppo candidates for America First heading into a presidential election cycle where 99.9% of America is sure Donald Trump's going to be the GOP nominee. So we really have to kind of figure out which version of the multiple personality Kevin McCarthy we're dealing with, I guess, on a weekly basis. He does have it. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. And we're going to continue to track it, but uh, we're looking to hit Donald Trump and track everything he had going on on the campaign trail this weekend. He's speaking in New Hampshire right now. But before we get to that and jump on with Congressman Brandon Williams for the first time, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman who's representing New York's 22nd District. Really excited to sit down for the first time. Mr. Brandon Williams, thanks for coming on the show. Great to be here, fellas. Thanks for having me. Congressman, it's our pleasure. So we've been tracking you for a long time. Glad we finally connected. It was a busy week up on Capitol Hill last week. Before we jump into some of the uh, items that you've been working on and and things that are on your schedule, I just wanted to ask for a little commentary. After seeing uh, John Durham testify before the House Judiciary for the first time and then the censorship of Adam Schiff, how do you think we're going as far as direction uh, is moving heading into the next election cycle now? You know, I think uh, just to focus on those events specifically, and I, I pulled James Comer aside the other day in a, just a small one-on-one conversation. I said, listen, you know, the success of your and Jim Jordan's investigations really depends on your credibility. You know, we almost live in like a post-fact world. Yeah, there's no amount of evidence that uh, we could present that will dislodge the progressive left from, uh, you know, frankly, people like Adam Schiff. They're just totally disingenuous about, you know, what's true and what's real. But um, as the American public get used to seeing, you know, Jim Comer and uh, Jim Jordan maintaining their cool, being very methodical, being very responsible, uh, providing safe harbor for whistleblowers, you know, getting information, subpoenaing information that's relevant, um, going after the FBI and comparing, you know, the, the version they have with the redacted version that they're getting from the FBI, seeing what they're hiding. Once, once the American people really get exposed to the seriousness of those two men, I think it builds a lot of confidence. And I think that's where this goes. I think that's what this hinges on. It's not, um, uh, you know, getting angry and, and having a snap vote. I, I think it's the process to move 
frankly, America to see what's going on. Is it alarming to you when you see over the weekend, you know, one of the biggest things, especially when you talk about Congressman Schiff, was the way that he was so blatantly leaking sensitive, even sometimes classified materials, even though a lot of it will say it was paraphrased to, to the media to see things like the audio tapes of, of President Trump down at Mar-a-Lago last year being leaked to places like CNN and the Wall Street Journal while the special counsel is still going on? You know, let's let's imagine, this is what really gets me about Schiff and people like him. Let's imagine that you have 10 members of Congress in a room uh, to receive a classified briefing on something that's absolutely critical. And uh, there are things discussed in that room. Now, when you leave that room, you're not allowed to discuss any of it. That's the law. And then one of those 10 people goes out. Let's, let's call him Adam Schiff. <laughs> and he goes out and he says actually exactly the opposite of what was said in that classified briefing, or he misrepresents what was said or selectively leaks things from what was said as to present exactly the opposite conclusion of the information that was provided. The other nine people are bound by the confidentiality, and they are acting in a responsible way to, um, you know, to respect that confidentiality requirement. And they are not even allowed to refute him because to do so would be to reveal the secret stuff that they are sworn not to reveal. And that is what's so insidious about Adam Schiff. It's not just that he's a liar, which he is. It's not just that he's a leaker, which he is. But he actually goes out and misrepresents things to the American public, knowing full well that the um, the ethical requirements of other members of, of Congress will actually prevent them from refuting his lies. And uh, and that's why he had to be censured. And that's why I was very happy to do that. Well, we were happy to see it as well. I mean. I know exactly what you're saying when he goes out and calls himself an American hero and says he does it again. We can't laugh hard enough here on the show. Uh, Congressman, I do want to segue a little bit on some of the stuff you're working on. You know, it was just over a week and a half ago that Tony Blinken had a disastrous visit to Beijing. It was kind of like a crawling back to the table and, and begging the CCP to reopen negotiations, not just on a geopolitical level, but, you know, on a national defense level as well with all the stuff that's been going on in the Taiwan Strait. Um, you, you have pushed for Stop Funding Our Adversaries Act, and it, it's a direct take at, at you know putting some of the clamps back on the CCP that we saw probably a little bit more so during the Trump administration. You want to tell our listenership about that? Absolutely. First of all, let me tell you why it matters to me. Number one, the last time I was in China was in May of 1989. <laughs> I was in Tiananmen Square from May 6th to May 8th. I was on a school trip. I mentioned Pepperdine University. I'd been studying uh, Chinese and Chinese studies, and we were right there after the May 4th uh, big uh, protest in Tiananmen Square and a week before Gorbachev's historic visit and about a month before the terrible crackdowns. So, um, you know, I have experienced that firsthand. I saw what freedom looked like, and we all saw the aftermath of what happened. I went on um, about, let me just get my dates straight. About three months later, August, no, sorry, a year and three months later, in August of 1990, I volunteered to serve in the American Navy, specifically for the nuclear submarine fleet. Uh, I made six strategic de uh, deterrent patrols aboard a Trident-class submarine. Uh, many of those I served as the strategic missile officer. Uh, you can imagine in that role that my job is to deter our enemies. 
I happened to be at sea, I think in uh, 1995, during what's called the, I think it's called the third crisis of the Taiwan Strait, uh, where China, the CCP was launching missiles in 1995 towards China. You can look it up on Google. Maybe it was 94. I think it was 95 launching missiles toward China that were falling short is one of their very first modern provocative acts against uh, Taiwan. And uh, I happened to be at sea on a, on a nuclear submarine at that time. Now, following that incident, we took a carrier battle group and sailed right up the Strait of Formosa, uh, this, you know, the Strait of Taiwan. And uh, we couldn't do that today. Right. We sent after the most recent demonstration, we sent, I think, a lonely little destroyer to uh, motor up through the, um, you know, to do a freedom of navigation uh, demonstration and went through the straits uh, between China and Taiwan. But we wouldn't do that with the whole carrier battle group today like we did in 95. So you can see how far it's come. And there are just steps that we have to take to start um, standing up to China. One small step that we can take is to stop giving them money from our federal government, from our taxpayers, to do critical research with institutions in China that are directly linked to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, you would think that that makes sense. You would think that that's obvious. But it was actually some of these, um, this happens to be specifically focused on uh, you know, Department of Energy and some of the grants that they're giving out through the National Science Foundation. And it was actually some of these organizations that said to me, hey, we know this is happening and we need stronger laws to prevent it. We don't want to give money to researchers who have some direct connection to the Chinese Communist Party. You know, could you help? And I appreciate them speaking up, and I'm more than happy to follow up on that. And it comes from deep in my soul, both from my naval service, but also from just being present in Tiananmen Square in May of 1989. No, that's pretty uh, powerful stuff there. And when you see the rise of China, especially over the last three years now, where you know the formation of the BRICS nations and, and how many members they they seem to have been uh, wanting to be included in that, you have some of the geopolitical communications they're working out and formalizing relations you know Syria's back in the mix in the Arab League of Nations you have Saudi Arabia heading over to Iran you've got China kind of meddling in the Ukraine crisis on on both ends you know funding Russia militarily and then assuring Ukraine that they'll rebuild their country afterwards it's just got to be alarming to see how fast they've been able to regain their geopolitical footing following the Trump administration. And uh, it's up to the members of Congress, especially where we have a slim majority in the House right now, to really put their foot down and stand up to uh, this rising threat. You know, uh, everybody knows, all your listeners know, the money talks. Uh, China's got a lot of money and they're using it. Uh, you know, in business, sometimes you call it the loan to own program. Uh, you know, they're loaning money really because they want to own you know, that country, or they want to own those assets, you know, if it's a port or um, a railroad or a road or some trade agreement, or just to have that kind of leverage over uh, other sovereign nations to give them that geopolitical uh, footprint. Um, they're, you know, look, the United States, if I'm not mistaken, you know, we have a military base 
uh, or a military footprint in it's like 80 or 90 countries. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but it's in that ballpark. We have a lot of influence in a lot of places. We've earned that over time. We fought two world wars. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a very extensive network. They are challenging that. They're the first nation to ever challenge that. Soviet Union didn't come close, even though they had a significant footprint. And they're doing it through this Belt and Road Initiative, through this uh, uh, sovereign lending program. And people are catching on. Other countries are catching on. And they are looking for a reliable partner to stand against China. And I can tell you something that the Biden administration and particularly Blinken do not project. They do not project reliable partner. They project weak, feckless. Um, uh, and even in the face of negotiating directly with China, they seem incredibly weak. And so I think that adds to our woes that other countries aren't sure that they can trust the United States today as being a reliable partner and, and they have to fend for themselves. And I think that makes the world much more dangerous. Sure. No, we agree with you there. And, uh, you know, some of the work that you guys are doing up there is you know, basically ground zero of, of what we're doing to start to fight back and push back and, and hold the CCP accountable. Congressman, I do want to segue a little bit, kind of stay in the same thread. We do have a lot of Congress people who come on the show who are veterans, uh, namely Wesley Hunt, Corey Mills, and uh, Max Miller have all joined us recently. They're always doing stuff, trying to, and, and oh, Eli Crane as well, always wanting to work directly with the uh, Veterans Affairs Committee and, and make things more accessible, more streamlined and easier for the people who, you know, have stood up for our freedoms across the world, uh, you know, when they're getting taken care of in, in, in their post-service life. You recently had a call with the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, let me let me tell you why this matters to me. Um, I mentioned my naval service. You know, I volunteered to serve in the nuclear navy uh, through the Nuclear Propulsion Officer Candidate Program. Um, but even deeper than that, I married into a military family. So uh, my uh, wife's father was a career military officer, career army officer. In fact, when we married, I was the Navy ensign marrying the colonel's daughter. And uh, I like to remind people that it's taken 30 years now and one election to the House of Representatives for me to finally outrank my wife in our own home. Uh, if you know any, uh, you know, uh, army brats, you'll know why that's true. Um, but our roots go really deep uh, and particularly not just in my service, but in her family service. Her dad served two tours in Vietnam. Uh, he was at the Battle of Quezon in uh, 1968 as a Army field artillery officer supporting the Marines. Had three bronze stars with Combat V for um, valor in combat. Uh, and, he's, and he commanded a battalion in Germany in the folded gap where we all expected the Soviet Union to come through uh, to the West. And um, so, you know, standing up uh, for veterans, standing with veterans, is, you know, frankly, it's just something that uh, I do love about this job. The, uh, a lot of the time we're, you know, on the Republican side, the, the Democrats are attacking us for cutting veteran spending. And in fact, we're increasing, I think by $16 billion, uh, maybe it's 18, but we're increasing uh, spending in, uh, to our veterans because we know what the needs are there. Um, on that call, uh, we had... Uh, about 1,600 people 
join the call to express their issues and concerns. It really falls into uh, you know a number of issues. If it's mental health, if it's uh, medical care at the VA, we're very lucky that we have an excellent VA medical facility in Syracuse, New York, um, and they're a great partner. Uh, we're also very fortunate in my district. Syracuse University is um, is the best university for veterans in the nation. And I say that on an objective scale, there are more veteran related services. Um, there are more people with direct veteran ties at Syracuse University than any other university in the country by a huge margin. And they also have an excellent veteran services um, facility there and program. So we're really fortunate with the services that are available to veterans in our district. But, um, you know, the things that veterans care about is things as simple as, hey, my dd is messed up and can you help me? Or, um, you know, that uh, I didn't get this medal and I'm trying to, you know, get the recognition or it's not on my, you know, it's not on my records to, uh, you know, I'm not having a good experience with the VA or uh, we had one veteran who needed some specialty care and was uh, out of our district. He was down in uh, Pennsylvania from our district, but he was getting treatment down in Pennsylvania. He needed to be somewhere else to get a special kind of treatment. And we were able to intervene and get them transported, get them to the new facility that was hundreds of miles away and actually even get um, his spouse actually, uh, well, get the spouse to have uh, temporary housing there all paid for by the VA uh, because that was the benefits. They just needed our help to navigate that. So these are the kinds of things that come up and they're, they're very much uh, bread and butter, uh, you know, dinner table kind of things, kitchen table kind of things that, uh, that people care about and it's navigating the services that they're entitled to. So that's what the chairman and, uh, brought to the table is to kind of add some depth because it's not my area of expertise. And uh, Chairman Boss was really helpful in communicating that and, frankly, just communicating to veterans that we hear them and we care. We got their back. Yeah, and you guys are working on legislation to make that stuff more easily accessible for them. I mean, it's a, it's an unrepayable debt we have to, you know, people like you and all the other people who have served this country throughout the course of their lives to, you know, maintain our freedoms and stability throughout the world. And, and we can't say enough when it, it was one of the biggest things of the last election cycle, Congress, when we talked about how many veterans – uh, you know, everyone from operators to officers were, were getting in these primaries and winning the Republican nominations and then getting into Congress. You're seeing the work carry over through the Veterans Affairs Committee and coming up another, you know, we're, we're getting ready to hit appropriation season. And I'm sure, uh, you know, money for veterans is going to be something that's going to be a huge component of a lot of the things that you guys are working on. And we're really thankful that you're up there and doing the job you're doing. You know what? Um, with veterans, it is uh, this is something all veterans will say. And I think it's worth saying is that you know the military and my military service i think gave me as much as i gave to the country um it gives you uh you know if it's training or experience or camaraderie or a sense of purpose um and I, i've heard it pretty much every veteran i've ever talked to say that they always appreciate you saying thanks for your service but one of the themes that comes out is you know i received a lot from the military it meant a lot to me still means a lot to me. And, um, uh, you know, the, I, I appreciate what the Veteran Administration Services do, but frankly, it's its own reward. 
to to be allowed to to have that trust and that responsibility, you know, for our country. Well, we love it here on on the show, Congressman. This has been awesome sitting down with you today. Obviously, we're going to be hopeful that you'll be able to join us at some point again in the future. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you, where can we live link as well? Well, I like to say. Let's go, Brandon. But it's not let's go, Brandon. It's let's vote, Brandon.com. Oh, I like it. Nice. And then I like sitting down with this congressman for the first time today. He represents New York 22. Brandon Williams, thanks for joining us. All right. Take care, fellas. Here are some of the other actions I'll take to restore the border of the United States and to make it safe again. We had the most successful and strongest border in American history. And To get it back, I will immediately reinstate all of the incredibly successful border policies of the Trump administration, including our safe third agreements, which you know what that means. Remain in Mexico. That's pretty obvious what that means. Our asylum bans, we didn't let a lot of bad people in. Uh, We will complete even more border wall. We built the border wall, and then we're going to add another 200 miles. And that's what I knew they actually wanted, because uh, in three weeks they could have had it completed. And they not only didn't complete it, they took the gates, the fences, and the walls, and they moved it to other parts of the country so that nobody could get to it. And I said, you know, they must really want to have open borders, because we added, in certain areas, it's a little like water coming through, right? Then you have certain areas that you learn when the wall is up. So we were... Closing up those areas would have been just incredible. And they didn't want that to happen. They actually took it. Texas wanted to buy it from the federal government. They said, we don't sell it. We wouldn't sell it to you under any circumstances. So that's when I realized for the first time that they were actually serious, that they want totally open borders, which is absolutely insane. And uh, we're going to restore the prosecution policy, which saw a record number of prosecutions of illegal aliens who had to leave the country. We had to get them out. Sometimes they were so evil, so bad, that would put them in prisons in our own country because they have a tendency to come back. But they weren't able to come back because we had a very strong border. Well, President Trump was on the campaign trail throughout the weekend, making stops at the Faith and Freedom Conference in Washington, D.C. He also received the Man of the Decade Award from the Michigan GOP out there over the weekend as well. And today he's in New Hampshire. We're going to be bringing you clips from everywhere as we're tracking the 45th president quest to become the 47th. And uh, he was stumping on border policies as part of the platform that he was given out over the course of the weekend. And probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ron DeSantis has rolled out his border policy. And there's not much different from the one that President Trump achieved other than a little wishful thinking uh, from the DeSantis end now saying that he'll be able to effortlessly build the wall and, and, you know, just be able to change immigration law with the stroke of a pen, which we all know is not true. And, you know, when you try to do stuff like that, your speaker of the house will more than likely throw your midterm election like Paul Ryan did in, in, in 2018. So we're going to continue to track uh, everything that the president did throughout the weekend. He laid out some of his strongest, Border policy points right there calling for third country agreements where if you leave your home country and and you want to make an asylum claim in the United States, but you're in a country that's no longer your own, you can claim asylum and wait there. It's it's more commonly known as the remain in Mexico policy that President Trump has stumped on for a long time, which makes perfect sense. Like, I mean, if you're claiming asylum and you show up somewhere that you're not afraid of, right? I feel like you're probably safe there. Exactly. Now, is it? the nicest neighborhood that you wanted to move to. Yeah. We don't always get what we want. 
I mean, do people come from Chicago and claim asylum? <laughs> Chirac. Yeah, can I claim asylum from California? Yeah, well, uh, that's it's too much okay. poop on the streets. The fact of the matter is, is that these migrants, economic migrants and illegal aliens, which is exactly what they are, they don't get all of the free shit that they give out here in the United States in a safe third country. So that's why they continue to uh, fall victim to the human traffickers and smugglers and, and get dumped on our doorstep and bust or flown into the interior of the yeah, United States. Yeah, we're literally now. financing our own destruction with the the cartels make money on, on human trafficking and then they invest it in drugs and then it's like a double whammy. Like they ship all the drugs over, people get hooked. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in on it. Many of our politicians are working with these guys. Yeah, and they don't even know that they're doing it, though, because they're bought out by PACs, corporations. They're bought out by these super groups and stuff like that. They don't even realize. It's like the concerted effort for our government to sell itself out to China. Now, it doesn't take China to go and hit up every politician and be like, hey, it's China calling. We just wanted you to like work for us now. It's like, no, right. they, just, they take these already dirty, filthy politicians who are just going to take money from whoever... And whether or not they know that they are taking money from China, they don't all know that they're working in concert together. Right. So it's not like it's a coordinated effort. It, it just is by default a coordinated effort on the China side. Mm-hmm. And it's something we've heard from both of the congressmen we've had on the show today, both Kevin Kiley and Brandon Williams have expressed extreme concern for the Chinese influence over everything. And if you don't think it has anything to do with the migrant problem and, and the illegal alien problem we're having on our U.S. southern border now, you need to go and dig between the numbers. So, How about the fentanyl problem? Because that's where all the precursor come from. No. Declaring war on the cartels, and, and, and that was one of the policy points that President Trump talked on. Building bo- more border wall which I think is where he doesn't pin himself into a corner anymore. Finishing the wall is is a very vague statement. I think building more border wall is, is the great way to go. It's kind of like instead of saying rigged and stolen, now we're talking about election interference. Build more border wall. Get as close. Right. They're always going to say it's not finished. They'll find the most remote mountaintop that there's no literal fence against, and they'll say that he yeah. never finished the wall, and they'll use it as campaign talking pieces for any Republican that runs after Donald Trump. He also talked about ending birthright citizenship for illegals. That's a huge one. He will executive order that on day one. So everyone that's planning on having children in the United States after they've illegally crossed our borders and been shipped inland will no longer be able like to... Like anchor com- babies. Yeah, oh. he'll be ending that and then trying to work uh, through Congress to get it to become permanent. That's pretty huge. Yeah, it, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's like a wish list item. That's not even like something that you would expect a, a normal candidate to campaign on. And is, uh, there's like whole companies, like Chinese companies that come here. Like a oh, Chinese, they're, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, what is it? The, I forgot what it's called, the name. I, I forgot there's a name of one that I, I, I knew about, but there's many of them. Yeah, it's like uh, birthright, birthing tourism or something like that. What is yep. it? What am yeah, I thinking of? Not, not birthright, birthing. but birthing or. Yeah, that's no, it. it. Birthing tourism, you're or, right. Yeah, birth tourism, yeah. And, yeah, the people will just come here and set up basically vacations to receive their medical treatment and eventually have their baby, which is once born a U.S. citizen. Uh, one of the things we've heard throughout the course of the news cycle over the last week are those text messages, those WhatsApp messages that Ooh. were revealed from the burner phones. Brutal. Uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to some of their Chinese business counterparts. We've heard reporters read it to people like Joe Biden himself, John Kirby, and Karine Jean-Pierre. But I saw an animation of uh, the one guy reading the, the text message to KJP, mm-hmm. and it just animated her like slowly <laughs> lowering behind the desk. <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. 
Well, she'd probably do the same if uh, Donald Trump were at it. No, so. but these these news uh, these news anchors or not anchors these news uh, interviewers, yeah. like they literally were passing like, well, I'd like to continue on with 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 the question you know previously, and that's what they need to do. They just need to make it so yeah. she just gets up and walks out every time. Mm-hmm. Have a nice weekend. Uh, sorry, there's not going to be any more press conferences, which looks super bad for the administration. Yeah, it sure does, and it's probably exactly what they'd say to President Trump. If he was able to read the messages to him, spoiler alert, he did it at the Faith and Freedom Conference this weekend. Let's hear it. Democrats used to love whistleblowers. They don't like the whistleblowers now. Revealed that Crooked Joe sat in a room while his son Hunter messaged a Chinese Communist Party official and said to this Chinese Party official, I quote, I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. This is cash he's talking about. Tell the director, and it doesn't get reported in the newspapers, tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means right now. It means tonight. You believe this? I didn't know he was that tough. (laughs) And if I get a call or a text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me, my father, right next to me, pop, <laughs> hi pop, and every person he knows, not you pop. will regret not following my direction. Now, can you imagine the newspapers not reporting this? Not a word of it in any of them, in any of them, mainstream. I'm sitting here waiting for the call, he said. With my father. I'm sitting here with my father waiting for the call. In other words, send us money. Within 10 days, the Bidens got $5.1 million from China for absolutely no reason. They got $5.1 million. In fact, they've taken tens of millions of dollars from China. And that's probably why maybe he's not complaining about the fact that they're building military bases in Cuba. Maybe that's... Mm, mm. Good little zinger at the end. Wow. Love it doesn't sound good when the press reads it. It sounds a lot better when President Trump does. I know, right? <laughs> he just delivers it so perfectly. That, that's pop in case you didn't know. That's dad. But yeah, so, you know, he again, he picked up a huge endorsement from Mark Robinson, who's going to be the next governor of North Carolina at the Faith and Freedom Conference, and then obviously wanted to touch on some of the things that Christians and Catholics have endured since the start of this administration. We've seen them investigated by the FBI. We've seen them jailed and detained uh, when stumping for, you know, pro-life in some instances and uh, wanted to talk about the persecution. So let's hear it. Siege under this administration. Just please remember that. Please remember that when they tell you about what, how much they love you. They don't love you at all. They don't love you at all. Never again will federal law enforcement be used to target religious believers. And hopefully never again will it be used to target opponents in an election. That's what they're doing. Americans of faith are not a threat to our country. Americans of faith are the soul of our country. And when I'm back in the White House, I will once again appoint rock-solid conservative judges and mold the mold of justices like Antonin Scalia and the great Clarence Thomas, who is... He's going to get at least two more Supreme Court justices on the bench if, if he wins the election next year. Yeah, I think so. And for, you know, just having passed the anniversary of Dobbs being overturned, uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, you can't, 
make excuses for the millions of lives that have been saved in, in just the first year. Of course. People don't really think about that. No, they don't. And uh, I, I think this is a huge component. When you, when you see you know some of these whistleblowers come forward and talk about how the FBI and the DOJ have really been infiltrating churches and pro-life events and stuff like that to try and you know, basically declare that these people are terrorists because they want to stick up for the religious beliefs and not killing babies. It's absolutely wild. And and I think, uh, you know, President Trump had kind of a fallout with the leadership of a lot of these Christian groups in the last election cycle because they did not do the job of motivating and mobilizing the people under them to get out and vote after Donald Trump was able to overturn Dobbs. But yeah. it, it, it wasn't the pro-life people. It was the leaders who came to him that he promised would get this, you know, groundbreaking historic ruling overturned. And then they did not, the poll showed they did not show out for President Trump. So I don't see anything wrong with him calling out the leadership of these national and international Catholic and Christian organizations. They need to be mobilized for President Trump, especially if they, sure. if, and listen, the second Joe Biden term means we're, we're that much closer to, completely dissolving the Supreme court, packing the bench and have it being like the galactic Senate in star Wars. <laughs> and that's just the truth. The more yeah. people there, the more, the easier it is to manipulate them, the more, you know, chances they leave themselves open to be influenced by lobby groups and international donors and things like that. You know, the, the finite group of nine that they have now that, that, you know, each individual will, put out rulings on things and, and they can be held accountable and, and on display for the court of public opinion. I think it's the perfect, uh, you know, demographic for the Supreme court right now, but we can't play games with this. So we could get two more SCOTUS judges. Those are still lifetime appointments. And, and it would basically preserve the fact that at least at the Supreme court level, cons- conservative Christian and Catholic values will be upheld in the United States for decades to come. Yeah. And, and for what this country was founded on and the awful direction it's going, we need a couple stop gaps. The office of the president is one, but I think even more importantly, the Supreme Court is another. Oh, yeah, totally. I want to remind everybody that's listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. Rate it with a five-star review. Leave a little review for us as well. Um, also on social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Follow us, hit the notification bell anytime anything's coming out for the show. It'll be delivered directly to you. Trump was in Michigan on Sunday night. He was talking, well, he was in battle mode, to say the least. And Mm -hmm. he, he came out swinging this weekend. You know, Donald Trump, he received the GOP award for the man of the decade there. And even though there's been a lot of controversy and, you know, not, getting the job done with the Michigan GOP over the course of the last two election cycles there. Uh, It doesn't mean that they're not going to recognize the man who broke through the blue wall and was successful in the Rust Belt during his first presidential campaign. Let's hear him there. This is the final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. And we will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media and we will defeat crooked Joe Biden 
We will liberate America from these villains once and for all. And under our leadership, the forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. With your help, with your love, and your vote, we will win Michigan, and we will make America great again. Thank you. God bless you. God bless Michigan. And God bless America. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. I do have to admit, as I watch these events broadcast live on, on Newsmax, because I want to remind everybody who still gives Fox News the time of day, they weren't broadcast on any of those networks. And they actually had a lot of Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie highlights on uh, throughout the course of their weekend, talking about their relevance or lack thereof, you know, when Donald Trump was out on the campaign trail. These events were packed. Yeah, uh, my uncle my uncle was there. He was actually a VIP. He said it was insane. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, the the Trump team ha- has actually had it with the bullshit that other campaigns, especially the DeSantis campaign, has been putting out saying like, oh, yeah, the shots are tight and they're only showing the first. <laughs> Every, there, were pan- there were fishbowl, panoramic, you name it. They showed. The ent- yeah. There was standing room only in that huge hall. Yeah, no, my uncle sent uh, my mom pictures. And he, it was super packed. And I lived in Michigan more than half my life. And I know that uh, the people there love Trump and they're not going to miss the opportunity to see him. But he showed us actual video and like panned around and pictures and it was super packed. So whoever's talking that jazz is bullshitting. Yeah, it's all the bullshit they always say. It's like, oh, you know, he's struggling and blah, blah, blah. I actually think if you listen to a lot of the clips, too, it's the engagement from the audience. You don't hear that normally uh, with any of these other candidates that are out there. Uh, If you just look when they actually do show videos or still shots, it's like whenever some of these other candidates are in their smaller, more intimate, because that's the only size of a venue that they could fill, focus groups that they're rattling off policy points to, it's all a bunch of old people. Yeah. It really is. Like, every time I see Ron DeSantis put out (laughs) campaign-related photos, the entire audience is like, I would say an overwhelming majority of it is like old, old, like super senior citizens. Well, they're busing the people from rest homes instead of migrants to rich people's houses. And also, if if he's ever in, like, Florida, I mean, people go there every time. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things you have to continue to not only watch who's supporting who, but what groups of people are out there and what do these audiences look like and and what is the engagement level that you're getting with president trump and not necessarily getting with the other i mean i don't hear people like clapping and cheering when chris christie or or nikki haley or tim no. scott is out there and you know Ron DeSantis has been reduced to wearing like uh Gosh. sweatproof fisherman shirts now oh god really i haven't seen him <laughs> he's wearing he's wearing a slicker like the Gorton's fisherman. No more nipples protruding. <laughs> oh no! Whoa, Is he whoa, wearing whoa. one of those like um they call it spanks for guys? <laughs> Probably <laughs> that too. I mean, he's lost a ridiculous amount of weight with the Ozempic. But even people like him and like Jerry Nadler, who's lost a lot of weight, they just look like empty shells of humans from how much the drugs are getting pumped skin. into their body. Yeah, yeah it's gross. Can you so, imagine Nadler though getting skinny? He'd be like. <laughs> I saw him waddling down the street at the Pride Parade this weekend. I was like, dang, he's actually lost a lot of weight. 
So oh, wow. yeah, he but it's all saggy skin with his pants up to his nipples. So just the typical yeah, the pants just go up higher until finally he's just triple fupas. like he's in a burlap sack. Right, until he's <laughs> he'll be wearing his belt as a necktie. <laughs> President Trump was on the campaign trail today in New Hampshire to another packed event. And before we jump on with Ren, the raw egg nationalist, who's going to be jumping in with us and talking about some health and well-being stuff that needs to be brought to everyone's attention, let's hear the 45th president on the campaign trail today. Drain the swamp if you're part of the swamp. And Joe Biden and other opponents, many of them are owned, controlled, they're bought, and they're paid for 100%. They're controlled. Our country is controlled by other countries. Right now, the lobbyists and special interests are pouring hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into futile attempts to stop our movement. They are fighting me. They, they even tried to have me arrested. I'm a candidate. I said, wait a minute, I'm a candidate. You're arresting <laughs> a candidate? Yeah, because you're leading. That's why we're arresting. If you were losing or if you weren't a candidate, would have no problem. But they don't like it when we're leading. And we're leading by a lot. Because they know that I'm the only candidate... They know that I'm the only candidate in this race who they will never own and they will never control. Mm -hmm. That's it right there. And that was at the New Hampshire Women's GOP-sponsored event today, Uh, another packed event and definitely an interactive listenership. So listen, 20, 30, 40-plus points up in the polls, depending on what pollster you're looking at. Uh, Richard Barris broke it down for us on our Friday edition of the Steak of Breakfast podcast. After the first five primaries, it looks all to be over and a President Trump victory. Anyone who wants to waste the money and stay in the race and wait till Super Tuesday, it'll be doubly over and doubly yep. embarrassing. Embarrassing, yep. We've had, what, one, two rallies max? It hasn't negatively or positively affected the poll numbers. They continue to rise regardless. And mm-hmm. for everything that Donald Trump seems to be going through, it's not only galvanizing the base, but widening uh, the support among vote, likely voters heading into the next election cycle. So we're going to continue to track everything going on with the president. We're going to kind of get into some of the felonies that were committed uh, to kind of weaken his stance in the primary field over the weekend. You'll see where I'm going in a minute. But we're about to jump in with the Raw Egg Nationalist. Before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Joining us next on the show today, he's the best-selling author of the Eggs Benedict Option. He's also the man, well, behind Man's World. I can't think of anybody more manly than him. Ren, the Raw Egg Nationalist, is joining us again on the show. Ren, welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Stop it. It's always a pleasure when you're here and that's it. Uh, sir, how's everything going with you? I'm, I'm sure you're living fit. I'm sure you're living clean, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that the rest of the world is. And that's probably one of your biggest concerns as an advocate for such. Uh, why don't you give us a little insight of what you've got going on right now at the moment, some of the stuff you're working on? Yeah, well, I'm working on the uh, latest issue of Man's World, putting the finishing touches to it. That will be out at the end of next week. Uh, next weekend, in fact, so not this weekend, but the weekend after, uh, issue 11 
amazing jam-packed as usual so many so many incredible articles fantastic contributors all sorts of surprising funny stuff um some very good spoof adverts in this one which i think people are going to love um so yeah i'm just busy writing i had a new article come out today in american greatness um about corporate lies which i think uh, everybody should uh, everybody who's interested in uh corporations and the uh, power that they have over us today should read i've just posted it on my twitter so go there if you'd like to uh if you'd like to read that well i think that uh all the stuff you're working on is very critically important to health wellness and well-being across the world ren you've been on it for so long whether it's lab-grown creepiness or advocating for just overall physical and mental health, especially coming out of things like, you know, it, it seems like it's a little a long time ago, especially how fast in this digital age we go coming out of the pandemic. You know, there was an article that you shared with me recently. It's currently up at the National Pulse, and it talks about youth disorders that surged during COVID. And uh, even more of a reason for there to be awareness and, and, and a reckoning to this. I, I want you to talk to our listenership about this right now. And, uh, you know, it's something that still today is ever prevalent probably more than ever before where we saw things for the first time that we never experienced here in the world, especially the lockdowns and the mask mandates. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So this is, uh, there was a new study out of Great Britain, uh, the UK about rates of self-harm and, uh, eating disorders among girls during the pandemic. So some researchers in the UK looked at, uh, records from general practice of diagnoses of um, self-harm and eating disorders among boys and girls. And um, uh, they compared the actual diagnoses to the to the trends as they were before the pandemic. And um, they worked out basically that there was a massive, there was a 40% increase in um, instances of diagnosed self-harm and uh, eating disorders among girls during the pandemic. And it's just once again it's it's just more uh you know really really powerful uh very compelling evidence of of the terrible terrible effects that the pandemic and especially the social the social restrictions that were imposed uh have had on really on on the on the people that we should have been protecting the people who the people you know the the younger generations the children even babies i mean there there have already been studies that have suggested that um, you know the, the lockdown restrictions actually cause developmental issues in the womb in children. So we're starting to get a, a more and more detailed picture of the of the massive range of harms that have been caused by these ridiculous um, social restrictions. And I also talk in in the National Pulse piece as well about another study that uh, came out recently that. Um, compares basically the, the the psychological effects the psychological um trauma of the of the pandemic if you will to the kind of effects that prisoners experience uh due to sensory deprivation and isolation in prison so you know these these uh, researchers showed that um uh people's recall of basic events during the pandemic of of events that happened you know big public events things like uh you know the royal weddings and and all sorts of, and um, the death of Prince Philip and all that kind of stuff. Um, people actually had really really terrible recall of um, recent events uh, as as bad as their recall of say events that had happened five or seven or even 
uh, years ago or even longer. So um, we're really starting to get a, a real sense that actually, you know, this was a this was not only a, t- a terrible mistake, um, you know, in the sense that it actually probably didn't save any lives, but it's also caused trauma and and harm that will reverberate through the generations. I mean, I mean, you make an excellent point there when you talk about just the blanket prison mentality, especially people that who probably can't handle it as well as adults. Believe me, there's, there's plenty of mental health issues in all the adults, especially coming out of the pandemic ones, but whether it be like distance learning or just dropping fitness. But when you talk about dropping something that hard uh, on children, school age kids where they don't have to learn, uh, they develop those isolation and, and just loner mentalities, but then have so many other things to preoccupy them. Let's talk about like video games. Let's talk about like junk food and, and just being so isolated. It, it really has negatively infected an entire generation. I don't know if there's enough people out there who really think that this generation of children coming up right now, whether it be like re-meeting their educational benchmarks and moving forward or just getting back to a common baseline of health can really get back to those levels. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I I don't I'm not sure that the damage can be undone. I mean, what we have to understand about development and this is something that I talk about when I talk about horm- hormones and and sexual development and fertility and things like that is that if you mess it up, you you don't get a second chance. You know, I I was talking about um uh, I wrote an article about a, a new study that showed that uh if you're fat as a young boy, you will grow up to be a man whose testicles are one and a half times smaller than uh, a man who was normal weight as a child. So, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. If 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 you are fat as a child and, and your testicles don't develop properly, there isn't another opportunity for them to develop. You can do things, of course, to improve your fertility. And if you're overweight as a man, then you can lose weight and, and you'll your fertility parameters will get better but you can't undo the damage that has been done and i think that if children aren't socialized properly there there is a key developmental window for socialization uh, i mean this is something i've heard jordan peterson talk about you know there's a there's a window of, of opportunity for a child to be socialized properly and if that doesn't happen it will never be socialized properly it will grow up to be an adult with socialization issues and there's not really much you can do about that or you can do maybe is limit the harm that that does but that's um you know that's that's a that's very clearly a second best to actually not inflicting that kind of trauma on children in the first place but we've done it now and um we're going to have to live with the consequences no we certainly are and and, and whether it's you ren dr peter mccullough robert malone even before he passed away dr zelenko who had come on our show they wanted to bring a whole bunch of awareness about things like the vaccines and, and how critical the lockdowns were, but it was getting out of that. You know, last time Peter McCullough was on with us, he really stressed that there are not going to be any credible data regarding anything from vaccines to the effects of lockdown for anywhere from 10 to 20 years, because that's how data works. You well, there's always- not even going to be data because they the, the focus groups for people that didn't take the vaccine, they gave them the option to take the vaccine. Sure. So it invalidates mm-hmm. that entire subgroup of people that they can look at the data from yeah but 
I think one of the things that rings true with all of our past guests and, and, and whenever we have Ren on the show is the advocacy to snap out of this. And, yeah. and whether you're a parent whose children are struggling or you're an adult who listens to the show that just hasn't been able to get back to the normal routine, like you may have returned to work, you may have returned to some semblance of normalcy in your life, but the fact of the matter is you just don't go to the gym as much as you used to or you're just not outside in the sun as much as you were. And, and you're still extremely reliant on things like you know modern medicine to cure all the things when you can pretty much initiate all of those cures and and ways to get healthier, like you said, in the home when you just talk about childhood obesity and working on things to increase how big men's balls are. I think it's <laughs> one of the things we don't talk about enough here on the show, and we could probably only talk about it when we have people like Red on, but it's it's definitely something that, I mean, listen, I, I bring I my kids. you said big Mike for a second. We talked about that in our last segment, but you know, the thing is I bring my kid around all the time and, and just the shape of children in general has changed a lot over the course of the last half decade. And it's not f for good reasons. I, I recently took my son to the doctor. He had a physical for his fall sports coming up and his BMI had actually gone down coming out of the pandemic. It was up a little bit during the pandemic, but we had kept him in sports. And now that he's back to fully active in school learning and, and doing multiple sports, the doctor was like, I'll be completely honest with you. You're one in very few people that come in here who I see, it going the, kid? Yeah. I see it going the other way. He's like, it's still not where it needs to be. Uh, he's like, and my son's pretty fit. You, you've seen him, Noah. But, yeah. you know, just based off of the fact that they sat on their asses for two years, it's it was really hard to to kind of motivate them to stay in shape. It was good that we had some sports out here that were still open and were able to keep them in it. But. Well, kids kids aren't the – like when we were growing up, like you would leave at sunup or whenever you woke up, and you would come when the sun started – come back home when the sun started coming down. Yeah. Like that was it. You were just out. You were doing shit. You were jumping – probably almost killing yourself at least three or four times a day like mm -hmm. ramps in the woods yeah but that's just not kids nowadays like now they're they're glued to a screen and we're just as guilty as that as as the kids are but they're losing the developmental the way that they should be growing up and adjusting to life and their environment but, around them and yeah everything but it's different now too you know it's back in the day our parents used to just let us out and not even worry about us they would say hey all right you're leaving now get your ass back home Eight nine o'clock will the latest. True during the summer. During the summer, mm -hmm. and now you have to worry about your kids. You got to watch them and helicopter them if they're going to do like you know the way that we grew up. Yeah, there should be there should be commercials now. It's like, do you know what your children are watching? Not do you know where your children are? Yeah, and don't talk to strangers. Yeah. <laughs> do you know who's talking to your children? Right, basically. Ren, we talked about it offline, and I want you to hear it real quick. Recently, President Trump uh, had some of these concerns with kids and, and, and the way medicine has become such a crucial component and some of maybe the long-term side effects uh, as part of his policy platform running for re-election here in the States. I want to play it for everybody and let them hear it and tell me what you think. In recent decades, there has been an unexplained and alarming growth in the prevalence of chronic illnesses and health problems, especially in children. We've seen a stunning rise in autism, autoimmune disorders, obesity, infertility, serious allergies, and respiratory challenges. It's time to ask, what is going on? Is it the food that they eat, the environment that we live in, the overprescription of certain medications? Is it the toxins and chemicals that are present in our homes? Every year, we spend hundreds of billions of dollars to treat these chronic problems rather than looking at what is causing them in the first place. Too often, our public health establishment is too close to Big Pharma. They make a lot of money, Big Pharma. Big corporations and other special interests. And 
does not want to ask the tough questions about what is happening to our children's health. If Big Pharma defrauds American patients and taxpayers or puts profits above people, they must be investigated and held accountable. When I'm back in the White House, I will establish a special presidential commission of independent minds who are not bought and paid for by Big Pharma, and I will charge them with investigating what is causing the decades-long increase in chronic illnesses. I understand Big Pharma, I believe, better than anybody else. I know where they're coming from. And then I will ask them to publish recommendations for how every American child can have a safe and healthy childhood. This is a conversation that is long overdue, and it's a conversation that American families deserve. American families must have this conversation, and they must have a leader, a president, who can do something about this problem. And I will do that. Thank you. And what do you think when you hear someone who's running for the, the highest office in the land here in the United States actually put something like Big Pharma on blast, highlight a lot of the things we just talked about for the last 10 minutes, and then want to work towards comprehensive solutions that go outside of just over-medicating your children or over, you know, super-saturating them with all of the distractions that, you know, uh, lead into the equation of unhealthiness goes. Oh, man, I think this is this is so long overdue. It's fantastic. And, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's absolutely a step in the right direction. It's obviously, it's obviously the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. influence, I think. I, I don't think anybody can deny that this is, this is the influence of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his focus on health. Um, but yes, we, we, we need something like this. There has to be, there has to be a proper, a proper independent investigation, and that's what Trump is saying: is it's going to be independent. You know, we're not going to let the people who are causing this harm uh, research it so that they can let themselves off the hook. I mean, this isn't standard Trump territory. This is this is something new for him, and so it's it's difficult to know exactly how invested he is in it personally. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is definitely invested in this Absolutely. in this health crusade health crusade that he's going on and you know whenever he talks about it you can tell it's something that has been a part of his life since he was you know a teenager when he was working to help clear up the hudson river so uh and he talks about this in the, in his uh, joe rogan appearance for instance at length and it, it comes across he comes across very sincerely and you can tell that it really is something that matters to him but even if it isn't something that matters to trump personally in the way that it matters to uh rfk jr then it's amazing to hear a presidential candidate talk about health like this because presidential candidates just don't. I mean, uh, nobody has spoken about health like this since, well, I don't know when. I mean, obviously, there have been health crusades in the past in the US, the war on cancer, for instance, Richard Nixon. But, um, you know, that was that was 50 years ago, and there hasn't really been, there hasn't really been Nobody has tried to grapple with the with the simple fact that Americans are getting and and people throughout the rest of the developed world as well are getting sicker and sicker by the year. And nothing that we're doing at present seems to be working, just administering more and more drugs, you know, creating new drugs like a Zempic. Uh, it, it's not working. It hasn't. It hasn't allowing big pharma more and more control over the way that we live our lives 
allowing corporations to provide basically the entirety of our diets in the form of processed food has only made us uh, more and more unhealthy and will only continue to make us more and more unhealthy. So this idea of getting away from uh, ad hoc treatment of sickness and actually trying to get to the underlying causes, yes, is incredibly is incredibly refreshing and it is and it is what we need and i hope to god whoever becomes president of the united states actually follows through on this yeah we're done tinkering with school lunches and stuff like that i think the pandemic uh one of the biggest negative things it did and there were a lot of them ran was now there are kids who are receiving like healthcare treatment and medication at levels that you hadn't seen for decades uh after you know how young these kids are people, you know, there are kids in like high school right now who are on the same regiments of medication that people like 20, 30 years ago didn't even start to receive until they were in their sixties and seventies. And if you can't say that that's a big enough of a, a red alert across the world on how unhealthy we are and how reliant we've come just on, on big pharma and the, you know, biomedical industrial complex, then thank God we've got people like you and, and RFK Jr. and obviously President Trump with that you know, policy point of Agenda 47 that are out there blowing the whistle on it. Ren, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Always a pleasure when you come on the show. Always welcome back whenever you're cranking out new information. We're going to live link whatever you've got in the show description today. So give us something to uh, throw up there. Yeah, please. Uh, so uh, you could throw up my latest article for American Greatness. That would be good. That came out today. I've posted it on my Twitter account. It's called um, The Lords of Lies. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about fertility, health, and uh, the role of corporations in uh, poisoning and, and weakening us and what we can do about it. And I talk about RFK Jr. and Trump's announcement of the presidential commission as well in there too. And then our favorite Twitter handle is uh, still the same. It is, yes, Baby Gravy Nine. <laughs> this is the Lord of Fitness. This is the Raw Egg Nationalist. Ren, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. People. That was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started right at the Like beginning. when Millie's talking about, oh, we're going to try to do a coup. No, they were trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right, trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came out. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at him. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found. Uh, isn't that amazing? This totally ruins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential. Yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret info. Yeah. Look, look at this. You're back. And Hillary would print that out all the time. She sent it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah. 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 Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. And he, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? Yeah, he said, you did. Oh, this was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to. 
eat less of that. Yeah. See, as president, I couldn't eat less yeah. of Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, close. Yeah, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's so, I'm look, we're here and I have, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe It's incredible, right? Yeah. Hey, bring some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. Mm. Order another round of Diet Cokes. <laughs> Isn't I mean, it doesn't him just taking it declassify it automatically, kind of? Isn't it funny how he's the same exact man? In private? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, believe it or not, those were leaked audio tapes. Who recorded that? Yeah, I was going to ask that, too. The now, well, she's the CCP-funded, now CNN-employed, former oh. independent reporter who is doing a piece on Mark Meadows' former Trump chief of staff's memoirs that they were working on together at Mar-a-Lago back in 2021, I think. So... I like make him look bad with this. Well, those audio tapes are part of the investigation, which is the premise of the special counsel into mm -hmm. the document, whatever they want to call it. And it was leaked to the media over the weekend, believe it or not. So weird. weird. Yeah. I never would have expected something to get leaked. Joe Biden and his son have almost 20 phone calls recorded with international counterparts, which violate so many different laws, whether it's FARA or tax laws, you name it. We'll never see those things. We'll see redacted versions of them written down. You mean they're not going to get leaked? Oh, absolutely not. Weird. This is all they can do. It's it's pretty pathetic. You know, it just shows how desperate they are. These are felony level crimes, especially when you're talking about interfering with a special counsel, which is currently going on and ran by Jack Smith, the same person who's investigating Joe Biden into his document scandal, which... I'm hearing from DC insiders has gone nowhere and will probably go even less than that when they get to a disposition and say like, did we say classified documents? We meant nothing burger. Mm. It, it was a post-it note. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> was it stuck to the back of the <laughs> Corvette? <laughs> Stephen Miller jumped on Fox news last night to uh, kind of hammer away at this. Let's hear him. We've seen this for seven long years, Sean, where the federal government, when it is persecuting, when it is going after, when it is trying to frame President Trump, they selectively leak in order to manipulate news stories, to try to poison the narrative, to try to create a false impression. And they've been doing this over and over and over and over again. Because the security state is very skilled at psychological warfare. They're skilled at the art and artistry that's often deployed in foreign countries of how to control the narrative in our country. My message to the American people is don't fall for it. We have been watching them try to play us year after year after year, going all the way back to the Russia hoax. Then, of course, remember the Ukraine hoax. Remember in the election year, remember the Russian bounty story, where Trump was letting Russia get away with putting bounties on our troops. Then it comes out later, that was a fake story. And of course, we remember what they did to suppress the Hunter Biden story. And now what they are doing and have been doing to shield Joe Biden from accountability for his influence peddling with his son, Hunter. So, like I said, we'll probably never hear the Joe Biden audio tapes. Nope. And I do want to point out that a lot of the things related to those leaked audio tapes of Donald Trump, the reporter who was covering the Mark Meadows memoirs and, and Mark Meadows, their conversations. Mark Milley put out a book last year and mm -hmm. outlined his concerns into whatever was going on behind the scenes with Iran. Now, President Trump says, according to his information, this was a DOD and Milley-backed plan. 
while General Milley and, and Secretary of State Lloyd Austin have suggested otherwise. Whether or not we ever get a disposition on that, who knows or cares because we're never going to see it. Um, and it never happened during the Trump administration, so it's kind of a moot point. I think one of the things we'll be uh, touching on with X-Strategy CEO Alex Brusewitz in just a few minutes is how far Fox News has fallen. They released their new primetime lineup, or lack thereof. <laughs> what is that? It's like Laura Ingram, Jesse Waters, Boomer Sweats, Greg Gutfeld, and then Trace Gallagher with like the late news edition on the West Coast. Well, Jesse and I got felt aren't that bad, but I mean, the whole lineup is not that great, to no, be fair. No, and it's not like you're getting any actual news out of them. Like, yeah. I do think that Jesse Waters, out of the whole group, is probably the best one journalistically, but whenever he brings something to life, whether it be like an interview that actually asks the hard questions or, mm. you know, gets some breaking news on his show that he kind of developed for a, an older Fox News listenership. Like, 20 minutes later, they're doing, like, some bullshit segment with, like, animals wearing people clothes. <laughs> like like the cat fashion show or something. Like, literally. And, uh, like that's, some, that's, like, from a bad movie. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, liar, whoa, no, uh, Bruce Almighty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh and God. that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> that's the way we get our end of the show movie clip. President Trump jumped on Newsmax yesterday with former Fox News host Eric Bowling. They talked about a lot of things, but one of them was how bad Fox News has been, especially with Ron DeSantis Letarit. But they're stopping now because he's just not a good candidate. When he came to me, he was losing very badly. When I endorsed him, it was like a, like a bomb went off. It was like a rocket ship <laughs> after I endorsed him. But he was a bad candidate. I call it artificial. When, uh, when, he, when those numbers went up, that was artificial. He's a bad candidate. He's not good. Uh, people don't like him, and that's uh, been proven to be the case. But Fox is pushing him, and they're not getting anywhere. They were pushing Jeb Bush with me. They were pushing Jeb. You remember Jeb? Whatever happened to Jeb? But he had a lot of money. He had a lot of everything. He had Foxes. Uh, they were pushing him like you can't even believe. As much as they push the sanctimonious right now, and uh, I would say Jeb didn't do too well. And Jeb and, and Ron are very much like each other. You know, in fact, Jeb sat right next to Ron during his uh, inauguration. He made Eric Bowling laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's right. You know, the Fox News Network's astroturfing of the Ron DeSantis campaign, I mean, we highlighted it on the show. It was very alarming to me to see how little coverage President Trump had gotten since November of last year and he formally announces intent to rerun for the Oval Office. And then, you know, when Ron DeSantis released his book as governor and he went on like the fake international book tour, presidential probing, whatever you want to call it, it was every single Fox News show for at least a 10-minute segment for two weeks straight. Wow. It should it should just be evident to the normal people and exactly. the general public now that I mean, you, I hate to make a joke about it, but anything the government tells you to do, you should probably think about not doing it. I would, I, I, anything I would the news the tells you, the you should opposite. do the exact opposite. Like, I mean, the, the, the distrust that is being sown by the government, the media, big business, whatever you want to call it, like people are seeing it, it now. People are waking up to it. And I think on all sides, to be fair, People are just so fed up, and especially when their pockets are getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a to to have Ron DeSantis at the Faith and Freedom conference on Saturday get his full speech broadcast on Fox News, and then they have it like in a little audio off corner of the screen while they're having a panel on talking about some bullshit with Joe Biden while Donald Trump is speaking the next day. Like that should just tell you exactly what the plan yeah. is here. Yeah. And you know, I'm, we're going to jump into uh, some of the stuff that Ron DeSantis was up to this weekend, besides speaking at the faith and freedom conference, him and Donald Trump are doing like tandem events right now in New Hampshire as well today. Uh, he was down in Eagle Pass on, on, on the U.S. southern border visiting with some components of the Border Patrol and, and adjacent agencies outlining his border policy. And that was no excuses. It's the top of the uh, poster. I like it. Secure our border, build the wall, stop the invasion. Very broad, not really policy-driven. Let's hear him. One priority starting January 20th, 2025. First, we are going to declare this issue of the border to be a national emergency on day one. That will give us authorities to be able to marshal all available resources uh, to be able to meet this moment uh, and reestablish the sovereignty meet? of our country. No, that, of course, involves reversing Meatball. Joe Biden's disastrous border policies. We are going to end catch and release. Uh, we are going to end phony asylum claims, and we will do everything we can through executive action. We'll also support legislative initiatives such as what Congressman Roy has done. We are going to build a border wall. Walls work. When you have the walls in place, uh, it diverts traffic uh, away from that, and it makes it so that the Border Patrol and, and ICE are able to do their job appropriately. So that's going to get done. Sure it is. Mm -hmm. It's super so easy. Far. Yeah. Don't so worry. Far. We we sent a quarter of a trillion dollars to Ukraine and, and nearly 60. And then we found accounting errors and we sent them more. Yeah. 60 yeah. border walls worth of cash, funding, aid, and military equipment over to the greatest border skirmish in the history of border skirmishes. But we couldn't get a measly four-ish billion dollars to just solve our problem once. And... Hmm. The big tell there is Ron DeSantis says he wants to reverse all of Joe Biden's open borders policy, which essentially returns them back to Trump era policy. So, mm -hmm. and then yeah. he he goes into highlighting some of the biggest campaign talking points of Donald Trump's original campaign, but that doesn't show all the great work he was able to do. I mean, they want to talk about, I've heard people being like, well, Barack Obama at one, one year throughout the course of his eight years in office, he deported more people than Donald Trump did in the entirety of his presidency. Well, guess what? Not only were 80% of the people who had historically over the course throughout other presidencies come into the United States not crossing anymore because of remain in Mexico. And, and yeah, he didn't have to deport them. Exactly. Right. And, and they were working on more already here in the United States, either jailing or deporting people that were here because they didn't have the problems of the U.S. southern border uh, that they did throughout other presidential administrations. So that's just a, a manufactured talking point that essentially you're only going to hear on Steak for Breakfast. So if you're listening to the show today on Apple, Google, Spotify, or iHeart, make sure you're subscribed to the show, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review as well. Also on social media is Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find our account, follow it, and hit the notification bell. Got one more clip, kind of a funny one, but kind of a real one regarding the whole election cycle that's going on right now. I don't know if you guys have heard, but uh, 
Tim Pool has had enough. <laughs> oh, really? I've been listening to him lately. I, I like where his head's at. He's actually come around a little bit in regards to. I mean, he still identifies as what, like a classical liberal or, or libertarian. Which I mean, well, yeah, I don't know, libertarian and center center left. I think. Yeah, I think he, was playing, he was playing it safe for a long time, you know, because of the censorship and all that crap and taking the heat. Yeah, but he's seeing like an opportunity now where he can say he's had enough. Listen, when you, when you've got a massive followership. That's yeah. behind an even bigger paywall, not border wall, but paywall. Mm -hmm. You don't want to piss everybody off. But here's the thing. Make paywalls great again. <laughs> sure, we would like to. Um, these people are starting to wake up. And for someone at his age and demographic and kind of a broader audience that comes in and listens to his show, because sometimes you could listen to a two, three hour episode of, of Tim Cast. They don't talk about politics at all. They talk about social issues and education. Yeah, skate parks and all this other bullshit. Coffee but, shops. True. And, but you want to talk about some of the absolute meltdowns that people are feeling on the inside that might not always be able to put it out so as elegantly as Tim Pool did last <laughs> night. Eloquently? Let's hear it. I'm sick of eight years of stop making me defend Trump, you fucking cocksucking liars. <laughs> the wow. media lied about everything. Yeah. And it got to the point where I'm just Damn. like, the media has lied to me so much, I am screaming in rage and punching walls. I am sick of these fucking disgusting people. And then Ron DeSantis goes, I'm actually going to do the exact same thing. And I fucking slap the table, fuck you. <laughs> Don't vote for Ron DeSantis. He wants to play a game. He wants to shill for the for for, for these Fuck corporate you. neocon. Uh, like he's getting donors from these corporate neocons. I'm like, well, you know, it's fine. Like it's it, it is what it is. He's got good policies. And then he comes out and he goes, I'm gonna do the exact same thing the corporate press has been doing. That's been driving you all nuts because I'm one of them. And I'm like, fuck off. You're done. You are done. He was Don't so care. good on the COVID policy, man. He that is inspirational. The fake news. He's fake news. That's what he is. So fuck. <laughs> well, dang. And that's the thing. A lot of people, I believe, who not only listen to this show, but across the country, literally feel that way. Yeah. They don't yeah, want to be I mean, dr drug into this quagmire of politics and tit for tat. Like, listen, if Donald Trump was literally an international spy or criminal, he'd be in jail. They would have figured it out by now. Yes. 100%. Well, I think it's just, I think that was great that he did that considering his following. It's going to make a lot of people think. You know, like the people that are not even thinking about politics or that don't like Trump, you know, particularly. I, I think that. Well, Pool's had his toes in the water for this yeah. for a while. I mean, like I've been listening to him for a while and he's yeah. he's gradually just been more vocal about it. But there was always a hint of it. Yeah. No, I just think it's good that he put it out there that way. Yeah. Because so, it's like, you know, it's like a wake up call and alarm to people. So then, then they're going to start paying more attention and look into it and. Well, it's a whole different cross section of society that listens to his yeah. show too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, there's there's probably some Tim Pool listeners that listen to us. Obviously, I mean, I yeah, listen to Tim Pool. Sure. Yeah, but it's a different group of people like that yeah. that started following him in the early days of what his podcast was, and he's obviously been very successful. I mean, he's mm -hmm. they literally have like a compound in West Virginia and. They're yeah. self-sufficient out there. I mean, mine yeah. is getting swatted a bunch, but you know, whatever. No, that's that's the thing too. It's like uh, when you listen to some of the guests in our wheelhouse who have gone on the show with him, 
and you just listen to the flow of the episodes and how whoever else is co-hosting with him when like Matt Gates, Wesley Hunt, Donald Trump Jr., Jack Posobiec, you know, join them on the show. They have fun. Mm-hmm. They realize yeah. that these people aren't as polarizing, aren't as demonized as the mainstream media makes them out to be. They're just normal people who have the same concerns. And I think part of Tim Pool's evolution into, and it goes to a lot, I'm speaking to the voter now, he doesn't like broad-brushed policy points. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to make the border safe and secure. Okay, tell me why. Donald Trump ran on that mm-hmm. stuff, build the wall, make Mexico pay for it. Parts of that got done. Believe it or not, parts of the wall were funded and paid for by the Mexican government. And, you know, we've moved on to now Donald Trump adding to those policy platforms, largest deportation operation in history, ending birthright citizenship, declaring war on the cartels, ending the fentanyl crisis in the country, and, you know, reinstating remain in Mexico. Things that he was able to accomplish, now he can refine and do better on in a second term. And I think... All the other candidates, because they're running this fake campaign for themselves, just aren't offering that. They're running on, hey, I'm a conservative, and I hope Donald Trump goes to jail. We'll find out whatever I'm going to run on after he goes to jail. And it's just not working for people like Tim Pool. And it's good that people that have a voice as big as his are finally starting to come around and understand what this is all about. Mm-hmm. So as we're getting ready to jump on with Alex Brucewitz right now and uh, – get him on the phones. We're going to continue to track everything that's going on with the rest of the campaign field and obviously all things President Trump as we head into uh, throughout the rest of the week and into our Friday edition of the show. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the CEO of X Strategies, one of our great friends. He's more than America first, Mr. Alex Brustowitz. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. My pleasure. Glad to be back, guys. Man, you've been tracking a busy weekend for President Trump as he made stops in Washington, D.C., Michigan, and today he's up in New Hampshire, looks extremely strong on the campaign trail. The numbers and all the polls are surely reflecting that as well. Not getting the coverage in the mainstream media, as we can all expect here on the show, and I'm sure in, in, in your world of uh, conservative consulting. But what's the latest you're, you're taking away, Alex, when you're watching President Trump just rise on the campaign trail? Well, it, uh, it feels a lot like 2016. The guy, the guy has his... Uh, mojo he's got his fire back and uh you know each speech is he's uh he, he's just uh on top of it man i was watching his speech at the faith and freedom coalition event and i'm like this guy is a total rock star and anybody that thinks he's uh different than he used to be uh they they couldn't be more wrong i mean the guy's got energy he, he's got fire and uh he knows that what he knows what's at stake in this election and he's not going to uh let anything uh, stop him from getting in the White House, not even a sham indictment, uh, not uh, the Koch networks threatening to put $100 million against him. Uh, the, the, will of the, the will of the American people will get him back in Pennsylvania Avenue uh, in January of 2025. Alex, what does it say for President Trump's stock as it continues to rise and outside of the parameters of the mainstream media when he continues uh, up through today to just rack up endorsements. Uh, there are people who are completely aware of all the manufactured legal problems that the former president has incurred. They also understand that, you know, heading into an election season, especially after 2020, there were roadblocks set up uh, that prevented him from uh, reclaiming the Oval Office. Then uh, they're trying to do the same thing now with things like the special counsel and these other sham investigations into him. 
But it seems like people who are in the know, governors, senators, Congress people in the House of Representatives, and and, and people who are big in, in the conservative orbit are all attaching themselves to President Trump's wagon. What does that say for not only his track record and what he was able to do in his first term, but how important it is for him to get back in the Oval Office and finish the job? Well, it's incredibly important, and it it says a, it says a lot. Uh, since Ron DeSantis announced his candidacy about a month and a half ago, he has received zero congressional endorsements since his announcement. And it's funny because there's a congressman uh, who I used to like on some issues, named Thomas Massey. Now he's becoming uh, very insufferable. But uh, right before Ron announced, Thomas Massey said, there's a sea of congressmen waiting to endorse Ron DeSantis, and we're going to see it once he announces. Uh, Thomas has been a month and a half, and Ron DeSantis has received zero new endorsements, and Donald Trump has received about 12 or 15 new congressional endorsements. So uh, the American people are rallying around President Trump, uh, but also the leaders in Congress and uh, the American First Movement are rallying around President Trump because uh, they know that he's the only candidate in the race that will be able to shake up the swamp, drain the swamp, and put America first. Yeah, it was uh, great to see the powerful endorsement by future governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, drop his endorsement on President Trump at the GOP event this weekend. Also, Mike Collins uh, just a week ago reminded everybody that the MAGA hat stays on before he endorsed President President Trump at the Georgia uh, GOP-led event. So. I, I think you, you, you add a lot of credibility there to say that it's the people that matter, the ones that are endorsing him. It's the ones in the news, uh, you know, who are kind of irrelevant. But it's gotten to the point to where President Trump is now calling out places like Fox News, whether it's uh, for their, you know, 24-7 promotion of Ron DeSantis and his failing campaign or the fact that, you know, Fox News wants to play both sides of the, of the fence for a ratings bump. They'll invite him on for an interview or, you know, are hopeful that he'll participate in the first debate. But, but, you know, President Trump reminded us all through his true social account yesterday, that's not the way the world works. What can you add to that as far as where these corporate media conglomerates have gone down the road to try and delegitimize his campaign? And then when they know they need him and, and he is the strongest horse in this race, come crawling back and, and hope that he'll give him the time. Yeah, well, if I was advising President Trump, I would absolutely tell him to not do the debate. Why would President Trump subject himself to two and a half hours of abuse from not just these ankle-biting candidates, but also two anti-Trumper moderators? I mean, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, two nasty people when it comes to President Trump. I watched that interview with Brett Baer, and I'm like, this guy has hate in his eyes. Yeah. You can see how much uh, Brett hates President Trump. And uh, if you ever watch Brett's show, which I'm sure not many people do due to his ratings not being so well, uh, but all of his panelists, they also hate President Trump. And so they don't try to hide their bias. And so President Trump doesn't need to do this debate. The debate would do absolutely nothing for him. Uh, and I think that there should be a gauntlet of debates. Uh, President Trump has a 40-point lead over the field. Uh, and so let the, the bottom kind of fight it out and uh, maybe towards the end of the race we can have a debate with the top four or the top five but there's 16 candidates in the race right now most of them are going to make the debate stage and president trump's going to have two trump haters as a moderator so he should absolutely not do it uh and uh but fox is flailing and tucker's i mean i, I was talking with the tucker a former tucker producer yesterday 
from my understanding, every single person that worked on Tucker's staff, the production team, the booking team, everybody just got fired. Yep. And uh, they are they they lost the trust of the mega base after the 2020 election. The only reason they had any bit of credibility after that was because of Tucker Carlson. And now they lost. Now they purged Tucker, and uh, now we're just going to see Fox News die, which I think is terrible for the country. Our country needs a strong network that we can have reliable and honest reporting and fair coverage on. And uh, now we don't have that. We don't have a single one. No, it's 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 the truth right there. I can't. I mean, other than doing research for the show and, and and looking for some video clips to pull, it's really hard to watch anything on Fox News because not only is every you know host monologue the opposite of what America First is all about, then they're like, all right, let's turn it over to a panel of people who also hate Donald Trump and uh, you know either came up on the coattails of his victory in 2016 or just have always not liked him because they lost to him in the primary back when he ran for office the first time, and it's it's sad to see how far it's fallen after you know uh roger ailes is out of there and, and what the murdochs have done to that company it's just kind of irreparable damage at this point alex i heard you mention uh what was it ankle biting uh floundering you used a couple of those describing words right there i do want to talk about ron DeSantis's campaign he made kind of a trip down to the southern border he was at eagle pass yesterday he rolled out a border policy which completely mirrors everything that Donald Trump did during the course of his first uh, presidency. He also said that he would get the job done, which is kind of funny to me. As a former congressman, he knows how the administrative state and the gears of Congress works. It depends on majorities. It depends on votes and appropriations, all the legal and constitutional things to make sure your policies can pass when you run for an office like that of the president. But, but, but just as another looking completely inept and unprepared for this campaign as the DeSantis team has looked since its failed launch on Twitter with Elon Musk. You you roll out a, a border policy like Ron DeSantis did yesterday, and then you just try to piggyback off of Donald Trump's successes, which it was the most safest and secure border in the history of our country during his presidency. Uh, how much of a joke is this campaign look to you? As someone, you, you do this for a living, Alex. You, you tell people basically how to run their campaigns, what's good, what people want, what people need, how everything works, and uh, you know where what boundaries you should stay into. And when you see somebody just making promises that you know can't be kept without you know numbers in the House, numbers in the Senate, and then people that actually want to work with you, how foolish is it to just try and uh, you know pull the wool over the eyes of the American public and lay out blanket policies like that? It's uh, not just foolish. It's, it's incredibly deceptive. And uh, Ron has a history of rewriting the past. You know, he re- he re- he rewrote the past when it comes to COVID. Correct. He's rewriting the past when it comes to President Trump's record at the border. Uh, he's rewriting the past when it comes to uh, Trump's uh, relationship or lack thereof with Dr. Fauci. So everything about this guy, it's fake. And uh, the American people see it. The voters are seeing it each and every day on the campaign trail. Uh, new numbers out of uh, New Hampshire, for example, a state that Ron DeSantis has made four trips to since uh, starting his uh, you know, 2024 aspirations, uh, over 11 events in New Hampshire. In January, Ron DeSantis was at 48%, and Donald Trump was at 34%. The latest polls out of the St. Anselm poll, Donald Trump 47%, and Ron DeSantis 19 And then some polls, including the New, the New Hampshire Journal, they have Ron at the low teens, at 13%, just four points ahead of Chris Christie. And so 
the the case study here is going to be i mean people are going to be uh, using this as a case study for many many years wondering what went wrong with the presidential campaign uh but the the truth of the matter is just the more people learn about ron desantis the more time they spend around ron desantis the less they like him and there's nothing that they can do about that that's just called uh you know you're born that way he was born as a very odd person uh people don't like the guy uh, he's got a lot of weird stories, he's got a lot of weird baggage, which I'm sure, if needed, the voters will hear about very soon. But, um, you know, he, he's got all the money in the world. He's got Fox News behind him, but he just goes down and down and down in the polls. And so he's becoming an ankle biter. And President Trump talks about this often. He's like, yeah, I don't know how much longer DeSantis is going to be number two. And he might be number three sooner than later. And uh, then we'll, we'll start attacking the next guy. But, uh, right now, we're we're aiming all of our fire at number two because why would we shoot uh, number three, number four, number five? It doesn't make sense for us. No, it certainly doesn't. I, I know uh, you know you're talking about Ron DeSantis is curious. Uh, he's kind of fixated on gas station food. I've heard recently. It's uh, some really weird stories about that. Uh, whether it be a burrito or a couple of those microwave chicken sandwiches, he just uh, really has a taste for some of the junk food that you, you usually don't hear. Oh, well, if you get diarrhea a lot, you lose a lot of weight. Yeah, well, they do travel on small planes a lot as well. So I, just some interesting stories I've heard. I'm sure they'll come out on the campaign trail at a some point. A lot of point, Febreze. To say the least, and you need some cleanup control as well. But, uh, you know, the last thing I want to touch with you on, Alex, I think it's the most important. And, and here's the thing. Joe Biden and the entire Republican field outside of Donald Trump is just waiting and banking. We call it underestimating as usual. It's what everybody's always done to Donald Trump. They just don't think that this guy can come in and shake things up like he did the first time. We all know that he's not only more than capable, but is more than likely to do it as well. Waiting on his legal stuff to kind of pan out to see. It's like they're playing an entire different alternate reality of the GOP field, and Joe Biden doesn't even acknowledge that anyone's running against him because apparently he got 81 million votes in the last election. How big of a mistake is that for every and all parties involved? It's a, it's a terrible mistake for them. There's one thing that uh, the American people probably should know by now is that you don't underestimate Donald Trump. Correct. And uh, you know, people have counted him out his entire life. I like to say that Donald Trump's been in this position that he is in right now before, but in a different part of his life. You know, in the 80s, Donald Trump was the most successful real estate developer. The, you know, everybody loves this guy. He's doing incredibly well. He's a billionaire. Uh, but there was a period in the 90s where he was, you know, in the 80s, he was riding so high. But there's a period in the 90s where he kind of lost everything for a little while. Yep. And in that moment, it was kind of where he was actually, you know, shaped. And uh, uh, I think he credits a lot of his success to, to losing everything for, for a time period. Because he came back bigger and better than ever before, uh, more successful than ever before. And uh, sometimes it, it takes losing everything uh, to to you know, figure out the next steps. And uh, President Trump is going to uh, clear the field of the GOP primary. Uh, what I find so fascinating is RFK Jr. is pulling better against Joe Biden than DeSantis is against Trump. Yeah. Meanwhile, the media is acting like the Republican primary is competitive and the Democrat party primary is over. And so, uh, you know, there's a ton of hype around uh, this, this primary, but it's fake hype. Donald Trump's going to win. Poll after poll shows Donald Trump beating Joe Biden in the general election. And uh, the American people are going to be voting with their wallets in uh, November of 2024. And everybody that is a sane and rational person can, can say that their uh, business 
and their economic life was better under Donald Trump. We were definitely a more prosperous country, and I think our show is a little bit more prosperous when you're on it, Alex. We're going to live link the website in the show description today. But for anybody that's not following you on social media, where can we check you out? Uh, you can check me out at Alex Bruzewitz um, and uh, at X Strategy. And we have a good time over there, and we're going to uh, save our country. We certainly are, and we saved a little bit more whenever he joins us on Steak for Breakfast. This is the CEO of X Strategies, Alex Brucewitz. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, folks. Busy start to the news week. What do you think, Noah? Busy, busy. I think we nailed it. Nailed it. We also didn't nail the uh, 12-hour Russian coup that happened over the weekend. Meh. Listen, if you want <laughs> geopolitical expertise, we can either wait for Colonel McGregor to be back on the show later in the month. Or we can direct you to all the memes we shared because they were a lot more accurate than a lot of the pundits over the weekend. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 250 other editions of the show, make sure you're following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review. Also across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our account, follow it, hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, Congressman Brandon Williams and Congressman Kevin Kiley, Ren the Raw Egg Nationalist, and X-Strategy CEO Alex Brusowitz definitely helped make steak great again. Guys, don't worry. It's going to be a busy week, but we'll be back on Friday. Episode 252 is going to feature Kingsley Cortez, Jim Nels, and Jake Denton. So on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ron. Noah, later. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. But what are we really looking at here? Is it just a big cookie? Or does this cookie represent the pride of Buffalo? It's dedicated and hardworking citizens, the key ingredient, with a few nuts thrown in. And finally, the love of our families, which provides the warm, chewy center, making our beloved Buffalo the sweetest place to live. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Eyewitness News. Thank you.